This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we are back. I'm your host, Tyler Hurley, here with Robbie Lashua. We're back. Yeah, and we are. And it's amazing. Yes, and it's it raining is. outside. It is. I know. We don't understand, you know, I, I, I don't think those of you who are outsiders from Arizona who are not who don't live in Phoenix or have never been here, don't understand how crazy it is whenever it rains. It's great when it rains. It's like once a year, twice a year. Yeah, and you see every (laughs) single person on their social media account post it on their story or whatever. Hey, it's raining. Like heck, I I think even um, uh, the Desert Springs Church uh, social media page, like made our church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The church page made a a, a post about, hey, how excited are you about the weather today? It's because it's because that's how everybody is. It's beautiful. It's like if you're in Seattle and it's sunny, everyone freaks out. Here, it's the opposite. (laughs) When we're in the valley and it rains we yes love it. and i love it's it it's been nice it's and been you really know what nice. i did just wash my car last week thank you for bringing the rain to us so Tyler. i'm not kidding i really did <laughs> i really wash my car then it always rains always. yeah yeah yep. so can so, you wash your car more often so that we can get some more rain sure thing thank you i'm That'd looking awesome. forward to it i think so. that's how it works yeah but anyways we are back today talking about context and we're super excited to keep digging into the series because it's important for christians to know and understand how to properly read the Bible for its intended purpose. And so we're going to continue to dive into that today. But before we get into that, Robbie has a coffee tip for all of you. I do. Coffee tip for the day. And this is something that I've personally experienced lately. So about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I noticed my wife stopped reheating coffee in the microwave. And she was reheating it in a saucepan on our stove. And I'm like, what is she doing? Like, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, why? What What happened? Why is she adding stuff to it? I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And, but she kept doing it. And so I'm like, what's the deal with the stove <laughs> reheating instead of the microwave yeah. reheating? And my wife taught me something. She actually knows know. more about this situation than I do. So here's the deal, guys. <laughs> reheating your coffee in the microwave actually ruins the flavor of your coffee. Mm. I can it, I can see that. It does because um, there's these things in coffee called aromas. And it's not just the smell. You know, you often think of how a coffee smells. But how it smells while you're drinking it, it does change the taste. In addition to that, though, there's like bitter aspects or salty aspects or taste aspects, oil aspects to the coffee. And the microwave actually wrecks the aromas. Mm. So your coffee tastes weird coming out of the microwave. It tastes different than it did when you just brew it in your, you know, French press or whatever. Yeah, okay. It has a different taste to it. So the best way to reheat your coffee is to put it in a saucepan and slowly heat it up on top of the stove. If you want to have good flavored coffee that you're reheating, don't put it in the microwave. It ruins it. Now, you can can put it in there if you're just needing the caffeine and you need convenience and quick. It's fine, but... It tastes much better if you'll reheat it on the stove. Mm. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. No, I I believe it, though. You should test this out. I should. Get get your coffee from the day before, put it in a cup and microwave it, and put it in a saucepan and have a taste comparison. The thing that I laugh about is about this tip in particular is I I can't even tell you how many times a day I would probably get up and have to use the saucepan. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the thing. It takes time, right? Yeah, Yeah, you reheat, you reheat. (laughs) But if you keep, you know, some people, too, reheat the same cup over and over again. Because they don't drink it very fast, yeah. That probably really ruins well, sure <laughs> the taste, at least. Right? No, that's me, man. Like I, I don't. So the thing is, I, 
I always start off slow with mm-hmm. the coffee because it comes out really hot and it's too a little too much at first. Yeah. And then it gets to the right temperature. I gulp a bunch of it, but then like I drink it while I'm working, while I'm at home. Okay. And so then part of the way through my day when I've been drinking the coffee and I've been sipping it, I forget about it for a minute because I'm focused <laughs> on work. Yeah. And then I go to take a sip and it's like room temperature and I can't so you, have that. You got to get your priorities straight. Are you focusing on your coffee or are you focusing on work, Tyler? Which is it? Come on, man. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. That happens to everybody. (laughs) Well, hey, that's the coffee tip for today, though. For good tasting coffee, reheat it in a saucepan on your stove, not in the microwave. I like it. Thanks for sharing that, Robbie. You're welcome. So, again, as we discussed prior to the coffee tip, today we're going to continue talking about Context. Yes, contexts with an S. Yeah, context with an S. And for those of you who uh, need a refresher, uh, or if you are joining us on this series for the first time, you should go back and start over because um, we've been going through this series on context. And today we're going to be covering the letter N and T, which yep. stands for name and time. Yes. So just to recap, though, I'm going to go over what context stands for. Uh, the C for context, crowd, audience, and then we have occasion, historical background, Name or author whose name or signature is at the end of the manuscript. Time, the date in which it was written. Mm-hmm. Echoes or repeated words. And then explanation, mm-hmm. word studies. Text says, what does the text say? Observation. That's yeah. the idea we're getting there with the T in context. Uh, the second T, I should be specific there. And then the S, the final S on context. Say to me. What does it say to me? Application. So what does it mean? That's what we need to investigate. So we need to understand the audience, uh, the historical background. So the crowd, occasion, name, time, echoes, explanation, the text says, and then what does it say to me? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you haven't gone back and checked out, we've already done two episodes in this for crowd and occasion. Go listen to those because it really does give you some insights in what you should be looking for and how you should study scripture. Yes. But today we want to hit on name and time. And so, Tyler, we are going to talk about somebody who everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of Christians have heard about a lot. Yes. Who is the name for today? Paul. Paul. There we go. Paul the Apostle. Okay. Not Saul. Not Saul. He was Saul, but now he's Paul. So... What we're going to get into today, and again, we're covering name and time today. We're kind of coupling these two together with the idea of Paul because uh, we have some very, very cool examples that we can kind of uh, share with you guys that include both name, where the author is uh, leaving his signature on there. In this case, Paul, he leaves his signature in pretty much everything he's written. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the timestamps, we can look for clues in the manuscripts to understand what the time is or the date in which this took place. Yep, absolutely. And the book we're going to be focusing on today is the book of Philippians. Yes. So let's just check out Philippians to see about time and name. Yeah. And then we'll say, okay, how does that help us interpret the book of Philippians? Yes, exactly. And that's the way we're supposed to go about it. Yep. Uh, So Philippians 1.1 says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So look at that. There you have it. Who wrote it? answer, Paul. Paul, he says it right. It's the first word, right? Yeah, Paul is the author of Philippians. And so so why is this important, right? That's the question we need to ask. Well, we need to know who Paul was and see if it helps to shed light on what is written in Philippians. And the reason why uh, this is important is because it provides context 
to what we're studying, when mm-hmm. we understand who the author is. So, but, but before we can understand who the author, like more about the author, we have to first find out who they are. Clearly, it's Paul based off of the text. So now we need to understand, okay, who is Paul? Yep, it is Paul. So who is Paul? Perfect. There we go. So who was he, right? Well, we can put together kind of a compilation of who he is from descriptions from his own personal letters, but also uh, from the book of Acts. So here is what we know about Paul prior to uh, him coming to know Jesus. And then you're going to talk about when he comes to know Jesus. <clears throat> so Paul, according to himself in Galatians and in Philippians, was a zealous Jew. He was advancing beyond his peers, so he's he's becoming more prominent and more important than the, the peers that he had. He calls himself a Pharisee. He says he was a circumcised Jew. He tells us he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He tells us he was zealous and righteous according to the law. He, he was brought up in Jerusalem. We know, according to Acts 22, that he was educated under Gamaliel, who was like the smartest dude in Jerusalem at the time. Mm. So you got the you got the smartest pupil of the smartest guy in the city. Yeah. Okay, so Paul's a big deal, right? He's from the right tribe. He's of the right sect. He is circumcised on the eighth day. He follows the law. He has the right training. He was trained according to the law of his fathers. Acts 22 says he was zealous for God. Acts 26 tells us that he lived among Jerusalem Jews since he was a kid, and he was a Pharisee. But here's the interesting thing. According to the strictest sect of Pharisees. So he's not just a Pharisee. Oh, yeah. He's of the strictest sect well, of Pharisees. That's something that wow. he's famous for saying. He's like, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yeah, it's I'm like, the top <laughs> dog. Like, I was the real deal. Yeah, right? yeah. That's what he's saying. He also tells us in Galatians 1 and in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Philippians 3 that he was a persecutor of the church and he tried to destroy it. 1 Timothy 1, he calls himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and the foremost of sinners because of being a persecutor of the church. Yeah. Right? Uh, In Acts 8, we see Paul going door to door in Jerusalem, and he's arresting people and imprisoning Christians because they're Christians. Uh, We see in Acts 9 and Acts 22 that he was passionate about threatening and murdering Christians, and he even went to the high priest to obtain letters from the synagogue to go to Damascus and arrest the Christians in Damascus and then bring them to stand trial in Jerusalem. That was a little serious. (laughs) See, this guy is zealous, right? He is zealous. And, And the crazy thing is he thought he was doing it all for God, right? He thought he was doing it all for God. So he is uh, out there persecuting the church, murdering Christians, arresting Christians, and doing it all in the name of the God of the Old Testament, right? Yeah. And then something happens to him, right, Tyler? Yes, that's right. So in Paul's letters and in Acts, we read that Jesus himself appeared to Paul. Yep. Yeah, and that's a big deal. We see this all uh, throughout Acts and through the Scripture. Uh, in Paul's letters and in Acts, we read of his commissioning by God to preach to the Gentiles and the Jews. So yep. he's he's not only he, he not only sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, which uh, is kind of like a shocking thing because he knew that this guy was supposed to be dead. Yep. Uh, so that's like a life changing moment for him. He he becomes a Christian and then he's called by God to completely flip around his life yep. and to go and actually rather than persecute this church to build them up yeah, to promote from yeah. persecution to promotion into adding crazy. people yep. to the church to God's kingdom yep. so so that's a big deal so Paul went to Damascus after his experience with all of this uh Paul then meets with Peter 
and James and John and begins doing ministry with Barnabas and Antioch. And then he begins doing missionary work with the Gentiles. So he goes complete 180 here. Completely. Yeah. And it's, it's such a cool story too, like backstory in scripture of a real historical figure who has a powerful testimony of transformation and it's clear as day. Yep. So, so that is a, just a snapshot of who Paul the Apostle is, once Saul, now Paul. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. too, because even um, non-Christian New Testament scholars, they agree that there's seven letters. So we have 13 letters yes. of Paul. They agree that seven of them were legitimately written by Paul. Now, we think all 13 were. Right, yeah. But they, so the most skeptical admit that seven of these are legitimately by this dude, Paul. Yeah. And in the letters, like First Corinthians and Galatians, that they say are legit, is where we have his testimony of he was this way and then he changed teams. So all mm-hmm. of them agree that Paul converted, but nobody knows why Paul converted. Yeah, yeah. The weird thing is, in his own words, he says it's because Jesus showed up to him. That's right. And you know, yeah. it, and it's great. And we've mentioned that before on uh, the show yeah. that, like, the, um, that all scholars, even uh, like skeptics, will claim that these letters were written by Paul because yep. he is a historical figure. And he and says that Jesus showed up to him. It's and he his does. own hand. It's his own. It's his own letter. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah. we can attribute this testimony to Paul that For he sure. actually wrote this. Yeah, and, and that's and what's that's, important. That wouldn't this. be disputed. Yeah. Oh, of course. And yeah. so, so we establish. Okay, so that's the guy who wrote it, mm-hmm. and we know about his background of who he was, and then he had this crazy conversion experience where he totally abandoned his old way of life, and he began teaching Jesus and doing missionary journeys all around Europe and all around you yeah. know, the world to teach people about the gospel as he established churches. So that's who he is in a snapshot, right? Yeah. Uh, right. And that's who wrote the letter to the Philippians. Now, before we start applying, okay, does it help us to know what this letter's saying or can we interpret it better mm-hmm. because we know who wrote it? We also want to look at the date. Yes. <clears throat> and the now date. when it comes to the date, um, we need to look for, sometimes you need to look for internal clues within the letter to determine when it was written. Earlier, yeah. you said the word timestamp. Yeah, yeah. I like to... It's such a good phrase. I like to say that specifically because when you, you're looking at a manuscript, and you'll see in a minute here when we get into the clue we're talking about specifically, mm-hmm. but you'll see certain historical things that are happening or certain events in history that took place at a very specific time frame. Yep. And I like to refer to that as a timestamp, a literal timestamp, because it's it's directly telling us, okay, obviously it took this manuscript took place during this time frame because he wrote about this event. Yep, yes. absolutely. So we're about to dig into that more. Yeah, so we want to look at this timestamp that we see within the book of Philippians. Now, we're going to talk about a few of them, but we really want to hone in on this one. So in the book of Philippians, Paul says something interesting. Uh, I'm going to read Philippians 1.7 and then read Philippians 1.12 and 13. So this is what Philippians 1.7 says. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me. And here's what Philippians 1, 12 through 13 says. 
Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Hmm. Did you notice in those two passages, Paul mentions his imprisonment? That's the timestamp. Timestamp. Yeah. Paul's in prison when he writes the letter to the Philippians. Okay? Yeah. So there we go. So we go, okay, well, Paul's in prison. So can that help us to date when he wrote this letter? Oh, of course it can. It can. Yeah. Because we know about imprisonments he had from the book of Acts. Yes, we, that's we correct. We cross-check this with other historical documents, and we can see, okay, when was Paul in prison? And we know that there were three possible times that he was imprisoned. Yes. A couple for sure, one possible. So let's get into, okay, when do we think the date, right, the time of this letter was? Yes, and that, that's exactly what we need to start. We need to start with the theories of when Paul was in prison. Now, uh, this is the first idea of when Paul was possibly imprisoned. Okay. Uh, this was in around 53 to 55 AD. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> The theory is that Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus. Okay. okay. Why do people think that Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus? And how would that help us with interpreting uh, Philippians? What are yeah. some of the ideas? Yeah, here? exactly. Well, one of the reasons for this theory is because the the guard who was stationed in Ephesus uh, and like he was supposedly mentioned in first sorry Philippians 1:13 so the 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 idea that they're getting here with that that's one reason is that they say that there is a guard a particular guard that was one stationed at Ephesus but that Paul mentions is the mentions is the guard in Philippians yeah the praetorian guard yeah right? so it's they're a like specific garrison specific group of soldiers exactly so they're Rome. like okay well maybe it wasn't in Ephesus because at one point he was stationed in Ephesus yeah well and, and he mentions mentioned the praetorian guard and the praetorian yes. guard we know had been in Ephesus. Yeah, exactly. So there's where, okay, so timestamp, another timestamp. Yeah, so that's Praetorian one. Guard. We couldn't write this now because the Praetorian Guard doesn't exist, of right? Of course, of course. So there's a yeah. timestamp, and he also must have been with them from what he says in Philippians. Yeah, exactly. And so they that, were in Ephesus. The idea, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's good. Okay. And so also, I, I buy that. Oh, sure. That's not yeah, bad. Yeah. yeah. And so another reason is uh, Luke did not accompany Paul to Ephesus in Acts 19, which may be why the letter to the Philippians doesn't mention Luke like Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 24 do. Okay, so yeah. and, that, and that's interesting because Colossians and Philemon are also what are called um, uh, prison letters of Paul, prison they are. epistles. That's right. And so, so maybe they're saying that, listen, he doesn't mention Luke— in Philippians, because he's writing from Ephesus, and we know from Acts 19, Luke doesn't go That's to Ephesus true. with him. But when he's imprisoned and he writes these other letters, he does mention Luke, and we know Luke was with him. That's, that's yeah, interesting. yeah, yeah. That is, that's not bad. So that's that's another argument. Okay. okay. Now this one, this is another one, and it's interesting. So I'm going to read this argument. It's that. Ephesus and Philippi are relatively close together, mm -hmm. which makes sense of the journeys back and forth from Paul to the Philippians that we find in the letter. So the argument is mm. uh, Ephesus and Philippi were, real, were so close, which explains the reasoning for why it says clearly uh, that these journeys were happening back and forth in the letter. Yeah, the, yeah. when you read Philippians, basis. you can like piece together, like Paul says, you know, I wrote to you, and Epaphroditus came to me, and then you yeah. heard that he might be sick, and so you were concerned, and so you kind of have this like back and forth correspondence thing. Yeah, so you're thinking, okay, well, then maybe that's where this was taking place, because... Yeah, because they'd be, cause it's be not, close. See, but again, the, we got to understand 
understand like it's not they're not emailing each other right correct <laughs> back yeah. then it took a little a little bit of time to take a letter to a place and then to respond to a letter and then to respond to respond so they're saying that that's more likely since they were closer together yeah exactly that's it, good well yeah it is but okay then, so Ephesus isn't a bad candidate sure sure but then we do have though an art a pretty good argument oh, against. No. The imprisonment being in Ephesus. Okay, what's so, what's the argument against it? Yeah, well, uh, the argument is is that there is nothing mentioned of Paul being imprisoned in Ephesus in Acts nineteen, and it seems mm. like it's just conjecture. Okay, so that's a pretty good argument. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's because the thing is, is when you look at it too. Uh, I mean, even all the points we brought up, especially um, the point of. Uh, Ephesus and Philippi being close to each other, which makes sense of the journeys back and forth. The thing is, is that really is just conjecture because the thing is, nowhere does it say, yeah, we came back from Ephesus and Philippi. Like, like that, the journeys weren't that explicit as yeah. far as like time stamping that. So it's like, you don't really have a, like, uh, so uh, that's another point of like, hey, this is some conjecture going on here. Maybe yeah. it's not. And there exactly. was there was an issue in Ephesus. So in, in sure. Acts nineteen, yeah. you remember um, the the idol makers of Artemis were mad at Paul yeah. because they thought yeah. their business was going to be in trouble because he's preaching you don't need to worship idols. That's right. Which makes sense why their statues wouldn't you know. So anyways, they get upset with him. They drag him into the. Um, the what's it called the amphitheater right. that you can yeah, actually yeah, yeah. still go to today which is crazy I know, you can stand exactly where paul stood it's nuts um you can go there today and that's where they had like this mob scene and they're all screaming i think it says for over an hour they were chanting great is artemis of the ephesians right yeah and paul's just sitting there like in response oh jeez yeah um but but it doesn't say they threw him in prison it says it kind of got disbanded and so, yeah, it is conjecture to say, well, maybe he got thrown in prison and maybe that's where he wrote the book of Philippians from because yeah, it's not yeah. stated. Whereas Luke mentions his other imprisonments in Acts. Right. So you would think, why wouldn't he mention it? Yeah. Why that's... wouldn't he mention that he got thrown in prison here? And if he's in prison long enough to write a letter from there, it's not like it was a quick trip. No. Because you have to get the materials. And I mean, so yeah. Well, okay. And writing a letter back then took a lot more time and energy and... Yeah, materials. And, well, yeah, and he didn't, they didn't just have pens and paper lying around no, the jail, you no. know, to get parchments and to get ink and everything. Yeah. It took some time. So, yeah, that makes sense that Ephesus is probably not where he was writing from. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's okay. what's the other prison theory we have? Here? Well, there's another yeah. idea because when, okay, so when we do read in Acts, we can say. Luke explicitly says Paul was imprisoned here. For sure. Yeah. Not in Ephesus, but in one of the places we find it is that Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea. Right. So this happened between 58 and 59 AD. So that's after he was in Ephesus, right? Okay. Um, between 58 and 59 AD. Uh, and this can be found in Acts 23 and Acts 24. Um, so that's a... Okay, legitimate imprisonment. Maybe this is where he wrote yeah, the book right. of Philippians from because this was after he established the church in Philippi. That happened actually on his second missionary journey. Mm -hmm. So it's already completed, right? His third missionary journey at this point is already completed. Yeah, right, so right. It, it makes sense that it could be from there. However, there's a problem with this. Um, first of all, if you compare uh, Philippians 1, 12, and 13 and Acts 24, 23, they don't seem to match up with the situation that's going on. So let me read again uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 13. Uh, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the pr whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So it seems 
in Philippians 1, 12 through 13, Paul has freedom to go mm. tell as many people about the gospel as he wants that he's in contact with, right? Yeah. And he has a guard over him, but then he has another guard over him, and he's just telling everybody he can. And they're not, like, stamping it out. They're not saying, stop it with your crazy talk. Yeah, right. They're allowing him to preach the gospel. It seems like he's free. Well, when you contrast this with what Felix does to him in Acts 24, it doesn't seem to line up. So let me read Acts 24, verses 22 through tw- through 23. It says, but Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, um, and that means Christianity. Yeah, right. Uh, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your cause. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody, that's Paul, and yet have little freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. So, okay, so Paul gets put in the custody of the centurion, and he says he can have a little freedom, like his friends can come and see him, but that's it. Right, yeah. It doesn't seem like he's able to go and preach to the guards, and it doesn't match up with what Philippians 1, 12 through 13 is insinuating, mm, right? Yeah. So that doesn't, uh, that doesn't really make sense. The other thing <clears throat> that I think is, is interesting about this Caesarea imprisonment idea is that in Philippians 1.25 and in Philippians 2.24, Paul indicates that he's hoping to be released from prison really soon. Yeah, that's right. And that he wants to come and see him. And hey, once I'm out, I'm coming. So it's going to happen soon. The thing is this, when he's in Caesarea, um, he knows he's not getting out soon. And it's because he's under Roman lock and key there because the Jews were so upset with him. And so he appeals to Caesar for his case because he was a Roman citizen, which means they have to take him to Rome, right, to stand trial there. Yeah. So Paul knows he's not getting out of prison soon. He actually has to make the long travel from Caesarea all the way to Rome. So this idea of, hey, I'm going to get out soon, I'm going to come see you, no. it doesn't make sense if it's in Caesarea because he knew he wasn't getting out soon. He knew he had the long trek to Rome and then imprisonment in Rome and then standing trial in Rome to go. Yeah. So that's... I don't think that the imprisonment in Caesarea is a good candidate. Well, sure. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting, too, how it ties in to his Roman imprisonment because yeah. that's actually what we're going to address next. Yeah. So what's the third option for his imprisonment? Yeah. Yeah. So the third option is just as I said, it's that Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And okay. the, the timestamp for this, the, t- the date is uh, 60, 62 AD is when he was imprisoned. Uh, and his situation, according to Acts, allowed him freedom to preach the gospel. Yeah. Okay, so th- that's actually a pretty good reason that this is the imprisonment that's being described here. Yeah. Because he had freedom, right? Okay. So he had freedom to preach the gospel. Uh, Paul was in Rome, where the that specific guard that we were discussing earlier, he was stationed there. Yep. Yeah, so there's another indication that this yep. is what it, this is the imprisonment yeah the praetorian guard is from rome yeah <laughs> so exactly. it makes it matches up of course. with him saying that well this is an interesting yeah. thing i was reading about the praetorian guard is that um oh man robbie i can't remember if it's 900 or 9000 it, it okay. makes more sense to me if it's 9000 but they're saying there are probably 9000 people in the praetorian guard in rome at the time and he says that the gospel has gone out through the whole praetorian guard wow have you seen that I don't like think that's, so. That's, that's yeah, really well, cool. No. In Philippians well, that makes 1, sense. he yeah. says that. So that's crazy. Is like he's saying, like, dude, my imprisonment is like prospering the gospel. Well, and yeah. there's people listening. And the Praetorian Guards, hopefully, I mean, I'm thinking some of them converted. That's why they're telling other people. Well, well it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. uh, that's exactly. So that's another reason, uh, a piece of evidence that this is the imprisonment that's in question here. 
Uh, and then uh, not only that, uh, Paul was in Rome, obviously, which makes sense of his statement about C- him being in Caesar's household. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. Yeah. Tell, read that verse in Philippians about yeah, Caesar's yeah. household. This is interesting. Yeah. Let me do that really quick. It says uh, in Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Okay. Look now, at that. Okay. So time out. <laughs> if he's in Ephesus, why would he say, hey, those of Caesar's household greet you? I guess Caesar could have had relatives in Ephesus. Yeah. Or like if uh, they're saying like, I mean, I guess too, he could have been talking about if if it was a place under Roman control, but it's like, yeah, uh, but that's not really a household, you know? Yeah. Sometimes household refers to like your servants even, Yeah, but it's not too. like just any servants of Rome. No. It's his specific. So... Yeah, it doesn't make sense if it's in Caesarea and or be, if it's and in if he's talking about an imprisonment. So he's saying essentially here that the place he's imprisoned at is mm-hmm. he's calling it Caesar's household. Yeah, well, and, or at least he has access to people. Yeah, yeah, household. right. That yeah. too. So, so that's the question, right? So, so I think it. I it mean, makes he sense. at least knows they want to greet the Philippians. Oh well, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. And so that's it. So that's the thing. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So, so. He, by this statement, he had to be in Rome. I think so. That would make yeah, the most sense. It, it's, the, it's the place that makes the most sense of this internal statement, this timestamp. Yes, yeah. yes. And so uh, uh, another point to mention here, and I, I think this is interesting, that Paul in prison was in prison in Rome for a long enough period of time for letters to travel back and forth from Philippi. Oh, yeah, because that was the argument with Ephesus, right? Yeah, like They're it was. so close together, so it makes sense that so they could travel back and forth. Do you not think that it's possible that he could get his letters out in two years? Yeah. I think that's entirely possible. That's yeah. tons of time. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that's that big a deal. Not to mention, um, so if you remember, Philippi is like a Roman province. Yeah. So there would be letter correspondence going back and forth from Philippi to Rome all the time. Oh, for sure. Because it was a Roman colony. There was Romans who owned Roman land in Philippi. Like it was deemed Rome. It was Italy outside of Italy. Yeah. So there would be a ton of correspondence. So that's not that big of an issue. Yeah. It was like a central hub. So that's, that's, I think that this is. A, a good argument. Yeah. So, so we're saying, okay, the letter to the Philippians was written by Paul, uh huh, probably during his Roman imprisonment between sixty and sixty-two. Yeah. So look at that. We got the there name go. of the author and yep. we got the date. Yep. And all we had to do was, and this wasn't even a lot of digging. That wasn't that it's hard. It's not hard. No, it's not that hard at all. That's really not. You just that have hard. to read the Bible a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to think. It's like, okay, like, why? Why did he say this? Why did he say like? Imp- okay, he said imprisonment. What yep. does that mean? Let's investigate. Yep. What imprisonment? So, like, where was he? That's yep. the question. And then you'll find that we'll understand the context better that way. Yeah. And so, with all of that background, all of that uh-huh. study, our contexts idea, how does knowing who the author is, the name? And knowing the time that this was written help us mm. in interpreting the book of Philippians. So now we got to look at yeah. the book of Philippians and with that background knowledge say, okay, what do we make of this? Yeah. So here's an interesting theme of the book of Philippians. One, one of the themes of the book is joy. And joy is mentioned over and over and over again throughout the book. I want to read a few uh, passages to you. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Uh, Paul says, Paul says, because he wrote it. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress, distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and mm. I will rejoice. Rejoice means have joy. Yeah. I have joy even when guys are teaching Christ out of pretense or to get back at me. I don't care because Christ is being preached and I have joy in that. Philippians 3.1, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, right? Yeah. Have joy. Philippians 4, 4 through 5, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. And this is the thing, joy, 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 joy. I'm sitting in a prison cell rotting. Yeah. Wait, how does that work, Tyler? That's that's, that's exactly a crazy it. contrast, right? Yeah. How does Paul have joy? How does Paul encourage others to have joy when his circumstances aren't ideal? Yeah, and doesn't this doesn't this provide a lot more context to this passage than thinking he's sitting on like a a cushy yeah. chair, like sitting down, like like a, a like inside of a nice cozy home, writing this letter? Right? Yep. He's not talking. He's not saying, "I'll rejoice" because you know life is good. No, nope. no. And so this provides so much. Context yep, to the it, passage. It, it, it enriches it, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too, is like you can't say, well, this guy didn't know what good the good life was like. Yeah, he did. Because we know who yeah. he was before. He was like one of the prestigious people in all of Jerusalem. Yeah. He knew what fame and power and money yeah, was like. he gave it all up to do this. So uh, that's, the, that's it, the idea. It just adds weight to it. The fact that he's sitting in jail writing about joy. Yeah. It's yeah. just phenomenal. And right? then, just phenomenal. Yeah. And then another concept we get to that he talks about is contentment, right? Yes. Yes. It's, it's very clear that and it's crazy to see that he's content in the situation that he's in. Uh, but this is what he goes on to say. This is in uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, not that I speak from want or uh, for ha- for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so so for one, too, a lot of people take that last verse out of context. I thought that meant I could dunk a basketball. I mean, Steph Curry seems to think that. He writes it on his shoes. Yeah. yeah, You know, that's the thing. (laughs) A lot of athletes do that. And so and not just athletes, but just people in general tend to take that passage. uh, Just read that one verse. Sometimes I want to go, is this wrong? If I go up to athletes who have that written on their shoe and I say, that's so cool that you are proclaiming you can be content with a loss today. <laughs> oh my god. I don't think that would fly. But isn't oh. that what the context means? That's what it would be. That in yeah, any yeah. situation I can be content whether I have a lot, not a lot, hungry, filled. Yeah, so what that would mean essentially is you're saying like I can be content in I can bear through all things. Yep. Through Christ because he gives me the strength even when I am feeling down. Yep. Or yeah. I'm weak or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or my circumstance isn't ideal. Yeah. So how does yeah. knowing the time this was written help add weight to that? It adds tons of weight because what he's saying is it, he he's in prison right now. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter that I'm in prison. It doesn't matter that That's I'm right. facing hardship right now because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I, I'm... 
he's basically saying, he's like, I'm not going to be spiritually crushed and down right now because the gospel is being proclaimed, Mm -hmm. which he talked about earlier when he said he has joy. Yep. And he says that he's content because he has lived on both sides of the coin as far as it goes to live a life full of prosperity. Yep. He's been... Lux- he's lived a life of luxury, and he, right now he's experiencing a life of pro- of poverty. Yep. And so th- that's the thing. So he's saying it doesn't matter what circumstances we're in in life or what I'm in in life. I will take joy because I can do all things through him because he gives me strength. Yep, and that's the secret. He strengthens my soul. Yes. Right? That yes. God strengthens us no matter what our circumstances. And again, exactly. it adds a lot of weight knowing Paul's sitting in a Roman prison cell. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's the goal of this exercise. That's why we want to go through this with you guys, because we want you to realize how important it is to understand the context. Yep. It adds to what's being said. Now, another thing that I think is cool about Philippians is um, Paul actually, he lists some of his former way of life through here, and then he tells the Philippians what's important to him now. And I just want to read this passage, knowing the background of Paul, knowing the situation that he's in prison now, and he actually, um, I don't know if you, well, yeah, you know this, but uh, he eventually has his head chopped off after this imprisonment Yep, because uh, of his crimes. Yeah. Let me read to you what he says in Philippians 3, 2 through 11. He says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in their flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be may, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith." that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is Mm. such a great passage. So he lists, listen, I had it all. I was doing it all. These guys are coming around trying to tell you to become Jewish and I was the guy. And all that's nothing. All of that's trash. He literally says, actually, um, I counted them all rubbish. You know, you notice that word? Yeah, right. This is one of my favorite Greek words, Tyler. (laughs) Uh, And if you're, uh, for our listeners, if you're at a party and you want to impress your friends, this is a good one to bring up. Um, This word's only used here in the entire New Testament. Um, It's not used again in the New Testament. It's used in other Greek words. But what it is, it's the word skubala. Skubala. It says, I count it all as skubala. And it's it borderlines on being like the word crap. It's like a, it's like some translations translate it dung, uh, some translate yeah. it trash. It literally, it's literally like it's 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 not it's it's kind of crass. 
Yeah. A little. Yeah. It's a little bit uh, not sanitary. It's a little bit uh, profane, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Not completely. It's not complete bad language, but he's like, that's what I count all of my achievements as. They're crap compared with knowing Jesus. This is fascinating coming from a guy who had it all, knowing his Mm, background, and he's saying, I've given it all away, and suffering has come my way, and I don't even care about the suffering, and I don't care about the lack of accolades, because all I care about is knowing Christ. And isn't it Jesus who said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, and they may know the one whom you sent? That's what he says. I don't care about any of this earthly stuff. All I care about is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Yeah. This is awesome, man. And so knowing the background of who he is adds weight to that. It does. Because it's It's not like he was a homeless guy who's saying, oh, I know. No, he knew what it was like to have worldly power and worldly fame and wealth. And he says, that doesn't really do it for me. It's like like in our day and age when somebody who's really rich and famous – says, this isn't where it's at I because they've done it. It's like Solomon in the Old Testament. A yeah, guy yeah. who tried everything that I don't have the money to try, he says, this isn't where happiness is found. That's what Paul is getting at here. Like, this isn't where it is. So when we can dig into knowing who Paul was and knowing what the situation at the time he was writing this from, we can have a better understanding of the letter he wrote and a better understanding from his example of what following mm. Jesus looks like. Yeah. I mean, so this true. guy was doing it, man. Like, don't you aspire to be like that? Yes. It's awesome. Yes. It's encouraging. It's, it's all, it's, but if you didn't know anything about him, you could read these words and you'd get something out of it, but it wouldn't be as rich. Yeah. That's so true. And yeah. it's just, it, it, and it just, like you said, Robbie, it, it adds so much weight and value when we understand the context. And that, that's what this series is about. Like we've been talking about, it's, it's to understand scripture better on a mm-hmm. more detailed basis, because when we investigate these things, it brings up so much more value in it. Yep. It's not just a fortune cookie no. statement. Like, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens yeah. me. You know how many people treat that like a fortune cookie verse? Yep. So many people. It sounds it's, good. It's a good sound bite. It does. Right? Yeah. But I mean, it, it is. Devoid of the context, you can make it mean anything. Yeah, that's the thing. And so <clears throat> so you got to understand what is he talking about? What What is the author talking about? Who is the author? Yep. When did they write it? And look at that. Just those two things, who the author is and when they wrote it. Yeah. Look at how much context we got out of that. It really helps. And, and you're, in your head, when you first initially look at like the context like like the different categories, these are probably some of the things you're like, okay, the name of the person who wrote it and the time it was written, like no big deal. Yeah. Probably doesn't provide a lot of context, but then look at what we just did. Yeah, it does. That's that's why, why the Bible is meant to be studied. That's why it's meant to be investigated because Amen. that's the way that God designed it. It's for us to know and understand it thoroughly and to digest and meditate on it and to understand the depth and the context of what the author was writing about. Yeah, and we really do ourselves a disservice Yeah, when we just yeah. glance at it, when we just, you know, do a, do a five-second drive-by, basically. It's <laughs> true, yeah. Read one or two verses, 
Um, it's so much better if you really dig into it. And that's what we are hoping mm. to inspire you to do. We want to equip you with the tools to do it. But then we want to we want to inspire you and encourage you to go out and do this stuff. Go study this Bible. Go look at, I mean, if you have a study Bible, this stuff is all in there at the beginnings. You know, how often mm. do we turn past kind of the general info just to get to the book? It's good, but man, it's really cool to learn about the date it was written, the time, right? Oh, yeah. The name of the author, who they were. It's really great to study scripture in context. And so that's what we wanted to help you with today. And uh, Philippians is a really cool book. It has so many examples of how we can do these things yes, for uh, sure. within it. Yeah. And so uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. And again, I'm just going to recap, though, uh, what the letters are in context. context. So that way you guys can understand what we're going after here. So again, it's crowd, occasion, name, time, echoes, explanation text says or what does the text say say says to me application yeah so that is context again today we covered name and time uh, and then we're going to be continuing in the coming weeks echoes explanation text says and says to me yeah next week's gonna be yes. fun with echoes on repeated words um and non-repeated words it's really fascinating to study emphasis yes, in scripture. Yes, that's so we're going to get great. to that. But also, if you would uh, like to support our ministry here, we would love for you to become a supporter on Patreon. We're on patreon.com slash Coffee. You can go on there. We've got four different tiers of how you can give monthly and there's uh, different um, uh, gifts depending yes. on what tier you want to be a part of. Um, but we thank all of you out there who have supported us so far. I'm thinking of a couple people. Uh, we got a new, uh, new supporter last week. Tracy, thank you so much for being on there. Uh, Caleb, you've been such a supporter of this show. We're very grateful for you. Uh, Paul, we're really grateful for, for you and what you've done. And, and there's more, and we're going to mention them on future podcasts. Yeah, we right. want to give shout-outs to all of our Patreon supporters. But if you would like to support what we're doing, you find value in this, um, we would love for you to go on there and help support us. Also, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. We love responding to people's emails. Actually, today I was responding to a few people's emails with questions that they they had about uh, different things. So if you would like to uh, have your questions answered by us or tell us what you think would be good for the podcast, we'd love to hear that. So go ahead and drop us a line through any of those social media outlets. That would be awesome. Yes. So thank you guys so much for joining us this week on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we'll be back next week as we continue to talk about context. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.